Robinson Crusoe, Part 15. This recording, copyright Candlelight Stories, Inc., available at candlelightstories.com. Narrated by Alessandro Chima. A Candlelight Stories audio production. The Life and Strange, Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe of York, Mariner by Daniel Defoe It amazed me to see with what dexterity and how swift my man Friday would manage her, turn her, and paddle her along. So I asked him if he would, and if we might venture over in her. Yes, he said, me venture over in her very well, though great blow wind. However, I had a farther design that he knew nothing of, and that was to make a mast and a sail, and to fit her with an anchor and a cable. As to the mast, that was easy enough to get, so I pitched upon a straight young cedar tree which I found near the place, and which there was plenty of in the island, and I set Friday to work to cut it down, and gave him instructions how to shape and order it. But as to the sail, that was my particular care. I knew I had pieces of old sails, but as I had had them now twenty-six years by me, and not being very careful to preserve them, they were nearly all rotten. However, I found two pieces which appeared pretty good, and with a great deal of pains and awkward, tedious stitching, for want of needles, I at length made a three-cornered ugly thing, like what we call in England a shoulder of mutton sail, to go with a boom at the bottom, and a little short sprit at the top, such as usually our ship's longboat sail with, and such as I best knew how to manage, because it was such a one as I used in the boat in which I made my escape from Barbary. I was near two months in rigging and fitting out my mast and sails, for I fitted them very complete, making a small stay and a sail or foresail to it, to assist if we should turn to windward, and, which was more than all, I fixed a rudder to the stern of her to steer with, and though I was but a bungling shipwright, yet, as I knew the usefulness and even necessity of such a thing, I applied myself with so much pains to do it, that at last I brought it to pass. After all this was done, I had my man Friday to teach as to what belonged to the navigation of my boat. For though he knew very well how to paddle the canoe, he knew nothing what belonged to a sail and a rudder, and how the sail jibed and filled this way or that way as the course we sailed changed. I say, when he saw this, he stood like one astonished and amazed. However, with a little use, I made all these things familiar to him, and he became an expert sailor, except that as to the compass, I could make him understand very little of that, but there was not much occasion for the compass in these parts. I was now entered on the seven-and-twentieth year of my captivity in this place, though the three last years that I had this creature with me ought rather to be left out of the account, my habitation being quite of another kind than in all the rest of the time. I kept the anniversary of my landing here with the same thankfulness to God for his mercies as at first and if i had such cause of acknowledgment at first i had much more so now having such additional testimonies of the care of providence over me and the great hopes i had of being effectually and speedily delivered for i had an invincible impression upon my thoughts that my deliverance was at hand and that i should not be another year in this place however i went on with all my work as usual the rainy season was in the meantime upon me, when I kept more within doors than at other times, so I had stowed our new vessel as secure as we could, 
bringing her up to the creek where, as I said in the beginning, I landed my rafts from the ship, and thus we waited for the months of November and December, in which I designed to make my adventure. When the settled season began to come in, the first thing I did was to lay by a certain quantity of provisions, being the store for our voyage, and I intended in a week or a fortnight's time to open the dock and launch out our boat. I was busy one morning upon something of this kind when I called to Friday and bade him go to the seashore and see if he could find a turtle or tortoise, a thing which we generally got once a week for the sake of the eggs as well as the flesh. Friday had not been long gone when he came running back and flew over my outward wall or fence like one that felt not the ground, and before I had time to speak to him he cried out to me, "'Oh, master! Oh, master! Oh, sorrow! Oh, bad! What's the matter, Friday?' said I. "'Oh, yonder there!' says he. "'One, two, three, canoe, one, two, three. By this way of speaking I concluded there were six, but on inquiry I found there were but three. "'Well, Friday,' said I, "'do not be frightened.' So I heartened him up as well as I could. However, I saw the poor fellow was most terribly scared, for nothing ran in his head but that they were come to look for him, and would cut him in pieces and eat him. And the poor fellow trembled so that I scarce knew what to do with him. I comforted him as well as I could, and told him I was in as much danger as he, and that they would eat me as well as him. But, said I, Friday, we must resolve to fight them. Can you fight, Friday? Me, shoot, says he. But there come many great number. No matter for that, said I again. Our guns will fright them that we do not kill. So I asked him whether, if I resolved to defend him, he would defend me and stand by me and do just as I bade him. He said, Me die when you bid die, master. So I gave him a good dram of rum, and when he had drunk it, I made him take the two fowling pieces and load them with swan shot as big as small pistol bullets. Then I took four muskets and loaded them with two slugs and five small bullets each, and my two pistols I loaded with a brace of bullets each. I hung my great sword, as usual, naked by my side, and gave Friday his hatchet. When I had thus prepared myself, I took my perspective glass and went up to the side of the hill to see what I could discover, and I found quickly by my glass that there were twenty-one savages, three prisoners and three canoes, and that their whole business seemed to be the triumphant banquet upon these three human bodies, but nothing more than as I had observed as usual with them. They were landed, not where they had done when Friday made his escape, but nearer to my creek, where the shore was low and where a thick wood came close almost down to the sea. This, with the abhorrence of the inhuman errand, these wretches came about, so filled me with indignation that I came down to Friday and told him I was resolved to go down to them and kill them all, and asked him if he would stand by me. He had now gotten over his fright, and his spirits being a little raised with the dram I had given him, he was very cheerful, and told me, as before, he would die when I bid die. In this fit of fury, I took first and divided the arms which I had charged, as before, between us. I gave Friday one pistol to stick in his girdle and three guns upon his shoulder, and I took one pistol and the other three myself, and in this posture we marched out. I took a small bottle of rum in my pocket and gave Friday a large bag with more powder and bullets, and as to orders I charged him to keep close behind me, and not to stir or shoot or do anything till I bade him, and in the meantime not to speak a word. In this posture 
In this posture I fetched a compass to my right hand of near a mile, as well to get over the creek as to get into the wood, so that I might come within a shot of them before I should be discovered, which I had seen by my glass it was easy to do. I entered the wood with all possible wariness and silence, Friday following close at my heels, and marched till I came to the skirt of the wood, on the side which was next to them, only that one corner of the wood lay between me and them. Here I called softly to Friday, and showing him a great tree which was just at the corner of the wood, I bade him go to the tree, and bring me word if he could see there plainly what they were doing. He did so, and came immediately back to me, and told me they might be plainly viewed there, that they were all about the fire, eating the flesh of one of their prisoners, and that another lay bound upon the sand a little from them, whom, he said, they would kill next, and which fired the very soul within me. He told me it was not one of their own nation, but one of the bearded men, whom he had told me of, that came to their country in the boat. I was filled with horror at the very naming the white-bearded man, and going to the tree I saw plainly by my glass a white man, who lay upon the beach of the sea with his hands and feet tied with flags, or things like rushes, and that he was an European, and had clothes on. There was another tree, and a little thicket beyond it, about fifty yards nearer to them than the place where I was, which, by going a little way about, I saw I might come at undiscovered, and that then I should be within half a shot of them. So I withheld my passion, and going back about twenty paces I got behind some bushes, which held all the way till I came to the other tree, and then I came to a little rising ground which gave me a full view of them at the distance of about eighty yards. I had now not a moment to lose, for nineteen of the dreadful wretches sat upon the ground all close huddled together, and had just sent the other two to butcher the poor Christian, and bring him, perhaps limb by limb, to their fire, and they were stooped down to untie the hands at his feet. I turned to Friday. Now, Friday, said I, do as I bid thee. Friday said he would. Then, Friday, said I, do exactly as you see me do. Fail in nothing. So I set down one of the muskets, and the fowling-piece upon the ground, and Friday did the like by his, and with the other musket I took my aim at the savages, bidding him do the like, then asking him if he was ready, he said, Yes. Then fire at them, said I, and the same moment I fired also. Friday took his aim so much better than I, that on the side he shot he killed two of them, and wounded three more, and on my side I killed one, and wounded two. They were in a dreadful consternation, and all of them who were not hurt jumped up upon their feet immediately, but did not know which way to run or which way to look, for they did not know from whence their destruction came. Friday kept his eye close upon me, that as I bid him he might observe what I did, so as soon as the first shot was made, I threw down the piece, and took up the fowling piece, and Friday did the like. He sees me cock and present, he did the same again. Are you ready, Friday? said I. Yes, said he. Let fly, then, said I and with that I fired again among the amazed wretches, and so did Friday. And as our pieces were now loaded with what I call swan-shot, or small pistol-bullets, we found only two drop, but so many were wounded, that they ran about, yelling and screaming like mad creatures, all bloody and wounded, most of them, and three more fell quickly after, but not quite dead. Now, Friday, said I, laying down the discharged pieces and taking up the musket, which was yet loaded, follow me. 
which he did with a deal of courage, upon which I rushed out of the wood and showed myself, and Friday close at my foot. As soon as I perceived they saw me, I shouted as loud as I could, and bade Friday do so too, and running as fast as I could, which, by the way, was not very fast, I made directly towards the poor victim who was, as I said, lying upon the beach or shore between the place where they sat and the sea. The two butchers, who were just going to work with him, had left him at the surprise of our first fire, and fled in a terrible fright to the seaside, and had jumped into a canoe, and three more of the rest made the same way. I turned to Friday and bade him step forwards and fire at them. He understood me immediately, and, running about forty yards to be nearer them, he shot at them, and I thought he had killed them all, for I saw them all fall on a heap in the boat, though I saw two of them up again quickly. However, he killed two of them, and wounded the third, so that he lay in the bottom of the boat as if he had been dead. While Friday fired at them, I pulled out my knife and cut the flags that bound the poor victim. And loosing his hands and feet, I lifted him up, and asked him in the Portuguese tongue what he was. He answered in Latin, Christianus, but was so weak and faint that he could scarce stand or speak. I took my bottle out of my pocket and gave it him, making signs that he should drink, which he did, and I gave him a piece of bread which he ate. Then I asked him what countryman he was, and he said, Espanol. And, being a little recovered, let me know, by all the signs he could possibly make, how much he was in my debt for his deliverance. I said, in as good Spanish as I could, we will talk afterwards, but we must fight now. If you have any strength left, take the pistol and sword and lay about you. He took them very thankfully, and no sooner had he the arms in his hands, but as if they had put new vigor into him, he flew upon his murderers like a fury, and had cut two or three in pieces in an instant, for they were so surprised and frightened that they could make no resistance nor attempt to escape. I kept my piece in my hands still, without firing, being willing to keep my charge ready, because I had given the Spaniard my pistol and sword, so I called to Friday and bade him run up to the tree from whence we first fired, and fetched the arms which lay there that had been discharged, which he quickly did, and then giving him my musket I sat down to load all the rest again, and bade them come to me when they wanted. While I was loading these pieces there happened a fierce engagement between the Spaniard and one of the savages, who made at him with one of their great wooden swords, the same weapon that was to have killed him before if I had not prevented it, the Spaniard, who was very bold, though weak, had fought this Indian a good while, and had cut him two great wounds on his head, but the savage, being a stout, lusty fellow, closing in with him, had thrown him down, and was wringing my sword out of his hand, when the Spaniard, though undermost, wisely quitted the sword, drew the pistol from his girdle, and shot him dead on the spot. Friday, being now left at his liberty, pursued the flying wretches with no weapon in his hand but his hatchet, and with that he dispatched those three who were wounded at first and fallen, and all the rest he could come up with. And the Spaniard, coming to me for a gun, I gave him one of the fowling pieces, with which he pursued two of the savages and wounded them both. But as he was not able to run, they both got from him into the wood, where Friday pursued them, and killed one of them. But the other was too nimble for him, and though he was wounded, yet had plunged into the sea, and swam with all his might off to those who were left in the canoe, which three in the canoe, with one wounded, we know not whether he died or no, were all that escaped our hands of one and twenty. Those that were in the canoe worked hard to get out of gunshot, and though Friday made two or three shots at them, I did not find that he hit any of them. 
Friday would fain have had me take one of their canoes and pursue them, and indeed I was very anxious about their escape, lest, carrying the news home to their people, they should come back, perhaps with two or three hundred of their canoes, and devour us by mere multitude. So I consented to pursue them by sea, and running to one of their canoes I jumped in and bade Friday follow me, but when I was in the canoe I was surprised to find another poor creature lie there alive, bound hand and foot, as the Spaniard was, for the slaughter, and almost dead with fear, not knowing what the matter was, for he had not been able to look up over the side of the boat. He was tied so hard, neck and heels, and had been tied so long that he had little life in him. I immediately cut the twisted flags or rushes that bound him, and would have helped him up, but he could not stand or speak, but groaned most piteously, believing, it seems, still, that he was only unbound in order to be killed. When Friday came, I bade him speak to him and tell him of his deliverance, and pulling out my bottle, made him give the poor wretch a dram, which, with the news of being delivered, revived him, and he sat up in the boat. But when Friday came to hear him speak and looked in his face— it would have moved anyone to tears to have seen how Friday kissed him, embraced him, hugged him, cried, laughed, hallooed, jumped about, danced, sung, then cried again, wrung his hands, beat his own face and head, and then sung and jumped about again like a distracted creature. It was a good while before I could make him speak to me or tell me what was the matter, but when he came a little to himself, he said that it was his father. It is not easy for me to express how it moved me, to see what ecstasy and filial affection had worked in this poor savage at the sight of his father and of his being delivered from death, nor, indeed, can I describe half the extravagance of his affection after this, for he went into the boat and out of the boat a great many times. When he went into him, he would sit down by him, open his breast, and hold his father's head close to his bosom half an hour together to nourish it. Then he took his arms and ankles, which were numbed and stiff with the binding, and chaffed and rubbed them with his hands. And I, perceiving what the case was, gave him some rum out of my bottle to rub them with, which did them a deal of good. This action put an end to our pursuit of the canoe with the other savages, who were now gotten almost out of sight. And it was happy for us that we did not, for it blew so hard within two hours after, and before they could be gotten a quarter of their way, and continued blowing so hard all night, and that from the northwest which was against them, that I could not suppose their boat could live, or that they ever reached to their own coast. But to return to Friday. He was so busy about his father that I could not find, in my heart, to take him off for some time. But after I thought he could leave him a little, I called him to me, and he came jumping and laughing and pleased to the highest extreme. Then I asked him if he had given his father any bread. He shook his head and said, None, ugly dog, eat all up self. So I gave him a cake of bread out of a little pouch I carried on purpose. I also gave him a dram for himself, but he would not taste it, but carried it to his father. I had in my pocket also two or three bunches of my raisins, so I gave him a handful of them for his father. He had no sooner given his father these raisins, but I saw him come out of the boat and run away, as if he had been bewitched. He ran at such a rate, for he was the swiftest fellow of his foot that ever I saw, I say he ran at such a rate that he was out of sight, as it were, in an instant. And though I called and hallooed, too, after him, it was all one. Away he went, and in a quarter of an hour I saw him come back again, though not so fast as he went. And as he came near, I found his pace was slacker, 
because he had something in his hand. When he came to me, I found he had been quite home for an earthen jug or pot to bring his father some fresh water, and that he had got two more cakes or loaves of bread. The bread he gave me, but the water he carried to his father. However, as I was very thirsty too, I took a little sup of it. The water revived his father more than all the rum or spirits I had given him, for he was just fainting with thirst. When his father had drunk, I called to him to know if there was any water left. He said yes, and I bade him give it to the poor Spaniard, who was as much in want of it as his father, and I sent one of the cakes that Friday brought to the Spaniard too, who was indeed very weak, and was reposing himself upon a green place, under the shade of a tree, and whose limbs were also very stiff, and very much swelled with the rude bandage he had been tied with. When I saw that upon Friday's coming up to him with the water, he sat up and drank, and took the bread and began to eat, I went up to him and gave him a handful of raisins. He looked up in my face, with all the tokens of gratitude and thankfulness that could appear in any countenance, but was so weak, notwithstanding he had so exerted himself in the fight, that he could not stand upon his feet. He tried to do it two or three times, but was really not able. His ankles were so swelled and so painful to him, so I bade him sit still, and caused Friday to rub his ankles and bathe them with rum, as he had done his father's. I observe the poor, affectionate creature, every two minutes, or perhaps less, all the while he was here, turned his head about, to see for his father, and at last he missed him, at which he started up and, without speaking a word, flew with that swiftness to him, that one could scarce perceive his feet touch the ground as he went, but when he came he found he had only laid himself down to ease his limbs. So Friday came back to me presently, and I then told him to help the Spaniard to the boat. So he took him upon his back and carried him beside his father in the boat, and stepping out again, launched the boat off, and paddled it along the shore faster than I could walk, though the wind blew pretty hard, too, so he brought them both safe into our creek, and leaving them in the boat, runs away to fetch the other canoe. As he passed me, I spoke to him, and asked him whither he went. He told me, Go, fetch more boat! So away he went like the wind, for sure, never man or horse ran like him and he had the other canoe in the creek almost as soon as I got to it by land. So he wafted me over, and then went to help our new guests out of the boat, which he did. But they were neither of them able to walk, so that poor Friday knew not what to do. At last we made a kind of hand-barrow to lay them on, and Friday and I carried them up both together upon it between us. But when we got them to the outside of our wall or fortification, we were at a worse loss than before, for it was impossible to get them over. And I was resolved not to break it down. So I set to work again, and Friday and I, in about two hours' time, made a very handsome tent, covered with old sails, and above with boughs of trees, being in the same space without our outward fence, and between that and the grove of young wood which I had planted." and here we made them two beds of such things as i had namely of good rice-straw with blankets laid upon it to lie on and another to cover them on each bed my island was now peopled and i thought myself very rich in subjects and it was a merry reflection which i frequently made how like a king i looked first of all my whole country was my own mere property so that i had an undoubted right of dominion Secondly, my people were perfectly subjected. I was the absolute lord and lawgiver. They all owed their lives to me, 
and were ready to lay down their lives if there had been an occasion of it for me. It was remarkable, too. I had but three subjects, and they were of three different religions. My man Friday was a Protestant. His father was a pagan and a cannibal, and the Spaniard was a papist. However, I allowed liberty of conscience to all my subjects. As soon as I had secured my two weak rescued prisoners and given them shelter and a place to rest upon, I began to think of making some provision for them, and the first thing I did, I ordered Friday to take a yearling goat betwixt a kid and a goat out of my particular flock to be killed. Then I cut off the hinder quarter, and chopping it into small pieces, I set Friday to work to boiling and stewing, and made them a very good dish of flesh and broth, and we all enjoyed it and ate heartily. After we had dined, or rather, supped, I ordered Friday to take one of the canoes and go and fetch our muskets and other firearms from the place of battle, and the next day I ordered him to go and bury the dead bodies of the savages which lay open to the sun and would presently be offensive, and I also ordered him to bury the horrid remains of their barbarous feast, all of which he punctually performed. I then began to enter into a little conversation with my two new subjects, and first I set Friday to inquire of his father what he thought of the escape of the savages in that canoe, and whether we might expect a return of them with a power too great for us to resist. His first opinion was that the savages in the boat never could live out the storm which blew that night they went off, but must be drowned or driven south to those other shores where they were as sure to be devoured as they were to be drowned, if they were cast away. But as to what they would do if they came on shore, he said he knew not. But it was his opinion that they were so dreadfully frightened with the manner of their being attacked, the noise and the fire, that he believed that they would tell their people they were all killed by thunder and lightning and not by the hand of man, and that the two which appeared, namely Friday and I, were two heavenly spirits and furies come down to destroy them, and not with weapons. And this old savage was right, for though they escaped the sea, they gave such dreadful accounts in their own country as I heard afterwards that they never ventured from that part to my island again. But I was under continual apprehensions for some time and kept upon my guard, I and all my army, for as we were now four of us, I would have ventured upon a hundred of them in the open field. In a little time, however, no more canoes appearing, the fear of them coming wore off, and I began to take my former thoughts of a voyage to the main into consideration, being likewise assured by Friday's father that I might depend upon good usage from their nation, on his account, if I would go. But my thoughts were a little suspended when I had a serious discourse with the Spaniard, and when I understood that there were sixteen more of his countrymen and Portuguese, who, having been cast away and made their escape to that side, lived there at peace indeed with the savages, but were very sore put to it for necessaries and indeed for life. I asked him all the particulars of their voyage, and found they were a Spanish ship bound from the Rio de la Plata to the Havana, being directed to leave their loading there, which was chiefly hides and silver, and to bring back what European goods they could meet with there, that they had five Portuguese seamen on board, whom they took out of another wreck, that five of their own men were drowned when first their ship was lost, and that these escaped through infinite dangers and hazards, and arrived, almost starved, on the cannibal coast, where they expected to be devoured every moment. 
He told me they had some arms with them, but they were perfectly useless, for they had neither powder nor ball, the washing of the sea having spoiled all their powder but a little, which they used at their first landing to provide themselves some food. I asked him what he thought would become of them there, and if they had formed no design of making an escape, he said they had many consultations about it, but having neither vessel nor tools to build one, nor provisions of any kind, their counsels always ended in tears and despair. I asked him how he thought they would receive a proposal from me which might tend towards an escape, and whether, if they were all here, it might not be done. He told me they were all under the greatest distress imaginable, and if I would undertake their relief, they would live and die by me. Upon these assurances I resolved to venture to relieve them, if possible, and to send the old savage and the Spaniard over to them to treat. But when he had gotten all things in readiness to go, the Spaniard himself started an objection, which had so much prudence in it on the one hand, and so much sincerity on the other hand, that I could not but be well satisfied in it, and, by his advice, put off the deliverance of his comrades for at least half a year. The case was thus. He had been with us now about a month, during which time I had let him see in what manner I had provided with the assistance of Providence for my support, and he saw evidently what stock of corn and rice I had laid up, which, as it was more than sufficient for myself, so it was not sufficient at least without good husbandry for my family, now it was increased to the number of four, but much less would it be sufficient if his countrymen, who were, as he said, fourteen still alive, should come over, and, least of all, would it be sufficient to victual our vessel, if we should build one, for a voyage to any of the Christian colonies of America? So he told me he thought it would be more advisable to let him and the two others dig and cultivate more land as much as I could spare seed to sow, and that we should wait another harvest. Then we might have a supply of corn for his countrymen when they should come, for want might be a temptation to them to disagree, or not think themselves delivered otherwise than out of one difficulty into another. His caution was so seasonable and his advice so good that I could not but be very well pleased with his proposal, as well as I was satisfied with his fidelity. So we fell to digging, all four of us, as well as the wooden tools we were furnished with permitted, and in about a month's time, by the end of which it was seed time, we had gotten as much land cured and trimmed up as we sowed twenty-two bushels of barley on and sixteen jars of rice, which was, in short, all the seed we had to spare. Having now society enough, and our number being sufficient to put us out of fear of savages, if they had come, unless their number had been very great, we went freely all over the island, wherever we found occasion, and as we had our escape or deliverance upon our thoughts, it was impossible, at least for me, to have the means of it out of mine. To this purpose, I marked out several trees which I thought fit for our work, and I set Friday and his father to cutting them down, and then I caused the Spaniard to oversee and direct their work. I showed them with what indefatigable pains I had hewed a large tree into single planks, and I caused them to do the like, till they had made about a dozen large planks of good oak near two feet broad, thirty-five feet long, and from two inches to four inches thick. What prodigious labor it took up, any one may imagine. Candlelight Stories Audio Production 